We all have bucket lists. As a lifelong sports fan, mine is full of tons of different sporting events and venues, from the NBA, NFL, Olympics, and beyond. However, my greatest bucket list item is something I want to share with the world and fans like me. What if you could attend a home college football game for all 130 and counting FBS programs? Seems crazy, right? Join me, your host, Bobby Wilson, as I take you along for the ride to see all the FBS venues and more. This is the TNT College Football Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the very next episode of the TNT College Football Podcast. I'm your host, Bobby Wilson. Hope everybody's doing well. Uh, Glad to be back on. Uh, Sorry I missed uh, my Monday, my usual Monday uh, night release, but I was waiting on the, I wanted to wait on the Sunbelt schedule release, and boy, was that exciting to see. We'll talk, I'll talk a lot about that today. Um, Then I'll talk about uh, the lawsuits going on with Conference USA, do the, then I want to talk a little bit about spring football. Really, really exciting stuff going on there um, with the very first spring game starting tomorrow night. Then I'll go into the coach's corner segment. Now I'm going to do two programs today um, and I'll get into that shortly. But first little, little side note, little exciting thing here. This is the 50th episode already of the podcast glad super excited that i've been able to do this and just uh thank you so much everybody for listening uh weekly and just hopefully it'll continue to grow and continue to become uh something that college football fans look forward to seeing and hearing uh weekly when i release things so thank you guys so much uh super excited about this i started the podcasts back in I want to say August, early August. So this is this has been a a, a quick journey, but uh, just an awesome experience with a lot of great people um, and everything. But let's let's go ahead and dive into um, probably the one of the major topics going in right now uh, involving Conference USA and the lawsuits with the members that are leaving the conference uh marshall old dominion and southern miss i'm not going to go into the into the jargon that's going on between all that but the 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 main the main issue right right now for conference usa is they're trying to sue all three universities but they have nothing in their bylaws um, to give them any ground and when i what i mean by that is there's nothing in their bylaws about an exit fee or giving any time um just just a complete blunder by the powers that be in conference usa when it comes to that um so southern miss old dominion and marshall can just leave i mean there's nothing that there's no ground for conference usa to stand on so then you see of course you see conference usa releasing the schedules with those three schools included and you, <clears throat> then you see the Sun Belt releasing their schedules on uh, Tuesday. On uh, on Tuesday, with those three schools included as well. So obviously, there's a there's going to be a lot of uh, gesturing going on there for for that. But I mean, I think I think it's very simple, um, very easy to see that 
Old Dominion, Marshall, and Southern Miss are going to be in the Sun Belt next year, and there's nothing Conference USA can do about it. Um, I, I personally you feel bad for the teams that are in Conference USA that now they got those games on their schedule, and what do they do? Uh, it's it's a mess. I mean, Conference USA just needs to realize, and their commissioner Judy um, needs to answer her phone. By the way. Not not from me, but just just from anyone, because all you ever see on Twitter is that she's never answering her phone, uh, and ne- that they're never answering the phone. They're never discussing anything with anybody, not even the universities that they're suing. So it's just a huge mess, just a huge huge lapse of communication. But but Conference USA just needs to kind of grow up here and just remove those three schools from the schedule and just make a conference schedule without those three schools. It's simple as that. I mean, you, you now, you now have to fill these schedules in conference play with other opponents. There's, there's no way around it. You, you got to do what you got to do and they got to sit down and figure it out, whatever it may be. And, because if not, you're hurting your own conference when it comes to the win-loss record of these programs. Um, and then what is the legitimacy then of your conference champion um, if they have, say, two forfeit wins? Let's say, let's say they go that route and they just say, oh, you get a forfeit win because you were supposed to play southern miss and old dominion on your schedule but you get forfeit wins so you just get two wins that you didn't even play um that that doesn't sit well with me and it was not going to sit well with the rest of college football um when it comes to let's just say a uab that goes 10 and 2 or 11 and 1 in in a in a scenario like this where two of your wins are forfeit wins so it just let's, and I'm not saying UAB is going to go win that many games. I'm just saying, hypothetically speaking, that this could happen. So it, it it's a mess. It's an absolute mess. So what Conference USA needs to do, you just need to take your schedule back, remake the conference schedule with the teams as you have that are going to be there next year, and roll with it. And, and and I know I've said this before, but if if you're if you're any of those teams that are leaving for the American, for the AAC, like you're almost scratching your head saying, why don't we just leave now with the mess that this is? And and, and it's a mess because of the leadership, and it, and it's that's been the whole mess, and that's why Conference USA has taken a beating, and the programs that are staying in Conference USA have kind of been poked and prodded through this process. Not rightfully so on their regard, but just the leadership at the the Conference USA level has just been an absolute mess, and it's got to be better. It can't get any worse, let's just say that. So now let's, let's go into something a little bit more exciting, a lot more exciting, I should say, not just a little bit more exciting, a lot more exciting, and it's the re- release of the Sun Belt schedule. Um, just... I'm going to kind of go down the line with all the teams in the Sun Belt now and just kind of like 
it, it, it's exciting to see um, just the level of play that, that is about to happen. And I, I've been talking this to some, I talk to some coastal people almost every day. And I, I, I've been, right before I came on the show today, I was talking with some uh, James Madison people and, and how excited they are for what recruiting has brought them already. They've got multiple three-star guys coming into JMU. And, and I think and it has a lot to do with JMU and the program and how much they're on the rise. And they have something brewing really – something good is about to happen at JMU. But it's the fact that they're going into the Sun Belt. I mean, the Sun Belt is – has become now the premier G5 league. The Sunbelt East is now the G5 version of the SEC West. I mean, it's just a gauntlet. App State, Coastal Carolina, Georgia Southern, Georgia State, James Madison, Marshall, and Old Dominion. I mean, Marshall, Coastal, and App State are top-notch. Georgia State is on the rise. JMU is going to be good once they get – the full allotment of FBS guys. Georgia Southern, given time and realistic expectations, I think will be really good. And Old Dominion is kind of like a sleeping mini giant, if you ask me, just because, just because of their location and what they could do there. I mean, I think there's some special things. And a lot of people are hitting on or talking badly about the Sunbelt West and that it's Louisiana and nobody else. Well, yes, Louisiana has earned that with how well they've played over the handful of years. But Arkansas State has the number one recruiting class in the conference. They have fantastic facilities. And South Alabama was very successful in the early season last year. Troy has an amazing history. And Texas State, I think, is going to get there at some point. They have the potential. That's for sure. ULM had overachieved last year. But the team to look out for is Southern Miss. With the transfers they got in on the offensive and defensive line and the skill guys they have back, oh my goodness. Southern Miss could be special, guys. But let's go into just looking at the schedules for, for the conference. I'm super, super excited to, to break this down. So you got App State. For we'll go App State. I'm going to go in the East ABC order and then the West ABC order. So we got App State. They open up against North Carolina in Boone. Now, North Carolina got head scratching first two games. They open up at App State and at Georgia State. Just what is Mac Brown doing there? And way to wait until Sam Howell leaves for that. But uh I mean, North Carolina could very well lose to App State at App State. I mean, I, that that is a distinct possibility because App State is going to be fantastic next year. Then they're at Texas A&M. By no means would I ever say they're going to win that game because Texas A&M is a college football playoff contender. But don't put it past them. Then they have an early season conference game in week three against Troy. And then, uh, then they get James Madison. So James Madison's JMU's first uh, conference game in the Sun Belt will be in Boone, North Carolina against App State. So then App State plays the Citadel. Then they're at Texas State. Um, then they get Georgia State. Then 
App State's issue with their schedules, they had Marshall scheduled as a non-conference game this coming year. Obviously now Marshall's in the conference, so now that's become a conference game. So now App State is playing two FCS teams, which means they have to win seven games to get to bowl eligibility, which won't be an issue for App State. But I, I just hope it doesn't people don't look down on them for playing two FCS teams when it's because of the like let's just call it a glitch in the system type of thing where they already had Marshall on the schedule so the guy they just kind of had to make it work so you got Robert Morris and then week 10 Thursday night at Coastal Carolina the re, the what has turned into a fantastic rivalry um one of the best games of the year last year in Boone now they're going to Conway. I'm super pumped for that one. Uh, I, I would love to be there for that game. Then they turn around the very next week, and then they're at Marshall. On a, so just uh, crazy, crazy stretch there at Coastal, at Marshall. Then they got Old Dominion and at Georgia Southern to finish the season, which Georgia Southern and App have the rivalry that's dated back for a long time, as Marshall as well. So, I mean, you look at app schedule, the non-con of North Carolina at Texas A&M, the Citadel and Robert Morris, and then the conference slate where they got to go to Coastal and to Marshall back-to-back weeks. So, not easy sledding for App State, but they, they certainly are going to be more than talented enough to get it done. Then Coastal, uh, you open up against Army. Which that'll be a really, really, really good G five game because the, the Army is fantastic, as is Coastal. Then you got Gardner Webb, Buffalo, who will be improved, and then they then they open up conference play at Georgia State on Thursday night. Uh, Georgia State went into Conway last year and got a W, so I mean that that game's going to be a big deal. Um, Coastal did get uh, Georgia State's number one wide receiver to transfer in, so. There, that'll be an interesting game. Then they get Georgia Southern at Louisiana Monroe. Then they get Old Dominion. And then a bye week. And then they play at Marshall. Then host App State on Thursday night. Then they host Southern Miss. Then they go to Virginia and to James Madison. So the 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 Chanticleers get past Army. They could very well start the season seven and zero. They could be seven and zero going to Marshall week nine. And then that, that the last five games at Marshall, host app, host Southern Miss, at Virginia, at James Madison, could could Coastal potentially be 10-0 going to Virginia? It's a possibility. So Coastal's non-conference schedule of Army, Gardner, Webb, Buffalo, and at Virginia. Now, everyone for the past couple years all everybody knows who that when they listen to my show knows that I'm a huge coastal supporter big time coastal fan everybody over the past couple years all they've said is oh coastal doesn't play anybody blah 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 well let's look at this people if coastal is able to beat army and then win at virginia and then win the sunbelt east do not tell me that the Chanticleers then don't deserve an opportunity in the playoff. I've said it before and I'll say it again. If you go undefeated in this new look Sunbelt, especially in the East, you deserve a right 
to have a shot in the college football playoff. That's how good the Sun Belt is now. So, I mean, just a great schedule for Coastal there. Then I go to Georgia Southern, open against Morgan State. Then they go to Nebraska, to UAB. Then they get Ball State, open up conference play at Coastal. Then they're at Georgia State, get James Madison, at Old Dominion, South Alabama, at Louisiana on a Thursday night, then Marshall and App to end the year. So those are the last three games, at Louisiana, Marshall and App, just difficult. So they got to go to Coastal, to Louisiana, and to, to Georgia State for that matter. So And then their non-conference schedule of Morgan State at Nebraska at UAB and Ball State. Let, let's give let's give Clay Helton time, Eagles fans. Be realistic and give him a couple years, and I think you guys can get there. But you got to be realistic. Then you look at Georgia State. Open up the season at South Carolina, the Spencer Rattler era, and uh, the expectations at South Carolina. This Georgia State team is very good, by the way, guys. So d- don't put it past them to make that a game. Then they host North Carolina, and then they get Charlotte, and then they play Coastal on a Thursday night. Then they go to Army, got Georgia Southern, at App, Old Dominion, at Southern Miss, ULM, at JMU, and at Marshall. So Georgia State is non-con of at South Carolina, host North Carolina, host Charlotte, and at Army. Difficult, by the way. Then you go have... Then you have to play at App, at Southern Miss, at JMU, and at Marshall. So they didn't do them any favors. Then you look at JMU. JMU, moving up from the FCS level, they're only going to play 11 games uh, just because they weren't able to make it happen from the scheduling standpoint. Um, But they open up first game against Middle Tennessee. Then they got Norfolk State. They go to App, get Texas State at Arkansas State, at Georgia Southern, Marshall, they go to Louisville, to Old Dominion, Georgia State, and Coastal. So their non-con is Middle Tennessee, Norfolk State, and at Louisville. And then they got to go to App, to Arkansas State. But from from what you're looking at, I mean, they get Marshall and Coastal at home. They get Georgia State at home. So, I mean, they... They do have a favor, I mean, a favorable conference schedule, you would say. So then you look at Marshall, Norfolk State, at Notre Dame, at Bowling Green, at Troy. Then you got Gardner Webb, Louisiana on a Thursday night, at JMU, host Coastal, at Old Dominion, host App, at Georgia Southern and Georgia State. So you look at Marshall. They gotta go. They're they're non-con of Norfolk State at Notre Dame at Bowling Green and Gardner Webb. The tough one there is Notre Dame, obviously. But you look at their conference schedule. They get Louisiana Coastal and App and Georgia State all at home. So Marshall got a huge draw for them to get those four teams at home when your crossover West game. One of your crossover West games is against Louisiana, but you get them at home. Then you get Coastal App and Georgia State at home. So very well done for Marshall getting lucky there with the draw. Then I got Old Dominion. They open up against Virginia Tech on a Friday night at East Carolina, at Virginia, Arkansas State, Liberty, at Coastal, Georgia Southern, at Georgia State, Marshall, Marshall. 
JMU, at App, and at South Alabama. The thing that sticks out for me for Old Dominion is hosting three Virginia schools and then playing at Virginia. So they host Virginia Tech, they host Liberty, and they host JMU. Then they go to Virginia. Like That is a huge opportunity for Old Dominion, a huge opportunity to make some noise in the state of Virginia. Then you look at Arkansas. Now we're going to the West, Arkansas State. They got Grambling at Ohio State, at Memphis, at Old Dominion, ULM, JMU, at Southern Miss, at Louisiana, South Alabama, UMass, at Texas State, and Troy. So a non-con of Grambling at Ohio State, at Memphis, and they host UMass. So you're looking to hopefully you go two and two, maybe three and one even, and then you go to Louisiana and to Southern Miss. So you look at it, there, there's there's a possibility Arkansas State could really improve. Then you look at Louisiana. Now, obviously, a coaching change could change some things there, but they get Southeast Louisiana, then Eastern Michigan, at Rice, ULM, South Alabama. Then they go at Marshall, Arkansas State, at Southern Miss, Troy, Georgia Southern on a Thursday night, at Florida State, and at Texas State. So... Their first five, they could be five and zero going to Marshall. They very well could be. And then things get tougher for them, where they go to Marshall, to Southern Miss. Then they got Florida State later in the year. But things set up well for Louisiana to win the West and continue and to continue to have a double figure win season. And they they have the longest winning streak in America right now and you look at their schedule right now and they could continue that for a while into the season as well. So the Raging Cajuns are set up very nicely. ULM at Texas, Nickel State at Alabama, then they get Louisiana at Arkansas State, Coastal at South Alabama, at Army, Texas State at Georgia State, at Troy and Southern Miss. So my whole thing looking at ULM schedule they're a non-con of at Texas and at Alabama. So, yes, you're going to make a lot of money, but you're going to probably get your brains beat in, which <laughs> which is unfortunate. And then they go to Army as well. So, I mean, they're just not – I don't think ULM is going to have the surprise run that like they had last year. Let's just say that. Then South Alabama, they got Nichols State at Central Michigan at UCLA. Louisiana Tech at Louisiana, ULM, Troy on a Thursday, or on a Wednesday actually, at Arkansas State, at Georgia Southern, Texas State, at Southern Miss, and Old Dominion. So I don't think South Alabama is going to start as hot as they did last year. They go to Mount Pleasant, Michigan, then they go to UCLA, go to Louisiana. I mean, it, it just a difficult stretch there. Then you look at Southern Miss. You got Liberty at Miami, Northwestern State at Tulane, at Troy, Arkansas State at Texas. Then they get Louisiana on a on a Thursday, Georgia State at Coastal, South Alabama and at ULM. Now, Southern Miss is my dark horse. If they're able to open the season with a big win over Liberty, Watch out, because then I think they can really build some momentum and get things going. Then you look at Texas State at Nevada, then they get FIU on a Friday night, at Baylor, Houston Baptist, at JMU, 
App State, at Troy, Southern Miss, at ULM, at South Alabama, Arkansas State, and Louisiana. Now, my thing with Texas State, I don't really see them doing too much this year, but you never know. They they could surprise some people. I just don't see it happening. Then you got Troy to round it out at Ole Miss, Alabama A&M, at App, Marshall, at Western Kentucky, Southern Miss, Texas State, at South Alabama on a Thursday, then at Louisiana, Army, ULM, and at Arkansas State. So Troy kind of got screwed in the conference schedule going to App, to South Alabama, to Louisiana, and to Arkansas State. So Troy has it rough there, but nonetheless, um, just really, really excited for some of those games. I mean, there's going to be some great football games. Marshall was set up really nicely with getting those three home games against Louisiana, or four, let's say. They get Louisiana, App, Coastal, and Georgia State all at home. Sets up really well for them. Then I think the West is a lot more wide open than what people think. Louisiana is the clear favorite. Let me call it what it is. But do not count out Southern Miss. So now let's look into, briefly, the spring football schedule. The very first spring football game, tomorrow night at Coastal Carolina. I, I wish I could be in Conway. My plan was to be in Conway for the spring football game. But my son turns four tomorrow, so there's just no way I could miss my son's birthday for that. I, that would be, I would not be a good dad if I did that. Um, so, nonetheless, Chanticleers, I will be cheering you on from Central Illinois. Um, really excited for what is happening in Conway. But that's the first one of the year. Many, many more to come. Um, I, I, shout out to FBSSchedules.com, who has really done a great job of piecing together not only all the schedules for everybody, but the spring game schedules where uh, where they got everybody up there. You can go look at that. They have a tab for spring games. Go look at that. It's, it's huge. But looking at my schedule going forward, um, I'm potentially looking at going to Western Michigan spring game um, Saturday, March 26th. Then I'm definitely going to NIU spring game with my buddy Chance, who I've had on the show a couple times, April 16th. And then Illinois has a spring game the same day as the University of Connecticut as UConn on Thursday, April 21st. Obviously, uh, the drive to Champaign, Illinois, just an, just over an hour south of me, is a little easier than going to UConn. So that's probably where I'll end up there. But please take a look at, like I said, fbsschedules.com and the spring game tab. Uh, just a lot of great stuff there, guys. It's just been uh, – been huge for me looking at the schedules and everything so now i'm going to take a little bit of time uh to go into the coach's corner um the next one up alphabetically is uconn's new head coaching hire of jim mora obviously i have spent a ton of time talking about jim mora on this show um, because of how big of a deal it is in the college football landscape, in my opinion, but because of my partnership with Sidelines UConn um, and those and all the UConn fans and followers that I have, I have been really, really excited about that hire. So I'm not going to really go in depth on Jim Mora like I have with the other new hires, but I do want to look at um, 
the Huskies recruiting class. And uh, with that being said, yesterday they got two more commitments for the 2022 class. They got a big right tackle from the Northeast. And then they got a long snapper who is uh, one of the top 10 long snappers in the country. So so a big deal there getting two guys um, bolstering uh, the offensive line once again, which is what UConn really needs. I mean, they need help in the trenches, and and they've done that. But uh, then to add another long snapper who will eventually then take Tommy Zozu's place. Uh, I had Tommy on the show uh a month or so ago um tommy is a grad grad transfer senior for uconn this year coming from fiu but just going down the list of uconn's recruits uh one of the biggest recruits that they've gotten out of the high school level ever um quarterback zion turner from st thomas aquinas down in florida just a huge huge get for uconn then then UConn did a great job, like I've said, bolstering the offensive line, getting some help on the defensive line as well, um, and then getting some of the top guys in the in Connecticut, uh, which I've talked about on the show. But I just had to bring some of that up just because it, it, it's a huge deal. And then the transfers that they've got, the five transfers that they've gotten, well, six with uh, long snapper Tommy Zozus, and then the, the other five, being linebacker Marquez Bembry coming from Kentucky. That is a big, big, big time get for UConn. He will come in and just he, – he will be a huge asset for them. Then they added two guys from Old Dominion, one at receiver, one at defensive line. That will help uh, 6'5 wide receiver. That's That's obviously big time. Then they added an offensive tackle from UTEP who's probably going to step in and start right away. But the number one transfer that everybody has talked about, myself included, being Taquan Roberson from Penn State, the highest-ranked recruit that UConn has ever got. Um, so obviously a huge, huge deal. And what Jim Moore has done, 20 high school commitments and at least at – least, uh, six um, grad transfers. So just a huge deal there for uh, for UConn. But but now I want to look into the the next person I'm going to be talking about on on the show in the coach's corner being Mike Elko, the new head coach at Duke. Um Obviously, obviously Duke is a different type of job. Um, you're coming in, filling the shoes of David Cutcliffe, who, if we're going to be honest, probably had the greatest stretch. And, and obviously, I don't know the whole history of Duke football. Maybe Duke. I, I do know that like in the early stages like the 20s 30s 40s and 50s that duke had some good teams but i'm i'm looking at more of the prior to david cutcliffe era at duke in duke football and it was a an absolute mess and 
David Cutcliffe came in and I mean, it took some time. It did. And obviously his pedigree as a coach is, is second to none really. I mean, what he's done with obviously quarterbacks. I mean, that's the first thing people think of with him is the Manning brothers and just what he, but bringing in Daniel Jones to Duke in the year that they had in his final year, um, going to a a big time bowl game and like at Duke nonetheless. I mean, so you got to look at your, you're following a guy who's probably the greatest coach in the history of the program. And like I said, I don't know those early, early, early days of Duke football, but I'm just going to call it like it is. I mean, you're like I said, you're following a guy who's done an amazing job for for that university. And obviously the last couple years haven't been what they've wanted, but nonetheless, like they do have to remember like this is Duke football. Um, so you kind of look at that with a glass half full type of mindset. But Mike Elko has risen through the ranks and done it the right way. This is a guy who played football at Penn. He was a safety. So he's Ivy League educated. Obviously, this is a smart guy. Um, then he just rose through the ranks, like as a young coach would, being at Stony Brook, then goes to his alma mater as the DB coach at Penn. Then he goes to Merchant Marine as a defensive coordinator. And then he goes to Fordham as a co-defensive coordinator. Then he rises up to Richmond on those good teams that Richmond had as the linebacker coach. Then he goes to Hofstra as a defensive coordinator and assistant head coach. Then he makes the jump to the FBS level, going to Bowling Green as a defensive coordinator. Then he makes the jump to the to the ACC, Wake Forest defensive coordinator. Then he was Notre Dame's defensive coordinator for a year. And most recently, Texas A&M's defensive coordinator before getting the Duke job this year. Or this past cycle I should say so you look at it and say like this is a guy who's risen through the ranks and done it the right way so you kind of look at Duke's recruiting class and you would kind of expect with the year that they had um, to just not be very good but they finished seventh right in the middle of the pack for recruiting which for them personally I think that's great I mean the year before they were 12th I mean they were terrible and and this year they're ranked for 2023. They've done a very good job, right? Currently they're ranked fourth in the ACC. So, I mean, they're doing a great job. Um, just, they were able to get a four-star defensive lineman to stay home. A kid from Durham, uh, Vincent Anthony jr. He's going to come right in and be like, and be like one of their top guys. I mean, and this is a guy who had offers, from all over. I mean, he had. I mean, he had he had some big time interest. So I mean, to get this kid as a four star kid to stay home is is a huge huge deal for Duke. But like I said, I mean, for them to be where they're at in that in the in the recruiting ranks for the conference, to me, speaks a lot to Mike Alco. Um, and the staff that he's assembled. So you look at that, they, they have a three-star wide receiver from Asheville, three-star corner from Texas, 
another three-star wide receiver from Greensboro, three-star safety from Kennesaw, Georgia, three-star running back from Jacksonville, three-star athlete from Washington, North Carolina, then a three-star linebacker from Chalet, North Carolina. Then they get three-star offensive lineman from Atlanta, three-star athlete from Chattanooga, three-star tight end from Virginia, three-star quarterback from the Bronx, uh, three-star running back from Tampa, Florida, three-star offensive attack from Dallas, uh, three-star offensive attack from Cincinnati, Ohio, three-star linebacker from Pennsylvania, three-star tight end from Raleigh, then a three-star tight end from uh, the Army Prep School. Then they get a transfer and a long snapper from UMass. So, I mean, it's going to take time, obviously, for Duke to get to the level that they need to be at um, to be competing consistently in the ACC. Then, But they already do have two commitments, two big commitments for this coming year. Um, three-star quarterback from South Carolina, um, who I know had um, multiple offers, including Georgia. I know he had Georgia and Kentucky offers. He also had App State, Charlotte, Marshall, West Virginia. Then he was getting interest from Wisconsin. So, I mean, this is a, that is a big-time get for the Duke program. Then to get a three-star wide receiver, another three-star wide receiver from Georgia. Now, like I said, these are 2023 guys. But like I'm saying, the, the, the Duke, Duke rebuild, let's call it what it is, is going to take time. Um, they're not just I, – I, and I've seen some people on social media saying, hey, they could really turn it around quickly. I'm not going to say that. The ACC is a lot better than what people think it is. And then just looking at Duke's schedule, they open up um, They open up the season on uh, Friday night against Temple. Then they go to Northwestern. They get North Carolina A&T and at Kansas. Now, is there a way... They could be, they could be four and zero. They could be. I, I I think three and one might be more realistic, but there there is a possibility where they host Virginia and they could be undefeated. But then their conference slate. So I mean, you look at their non-con; it's not crazy, but they are in the coastal, the ACC coastal. So they play Virginia at Georgia Tech, then they get North Carolina at Miami at Boston College on a Friday night, then they get Virginia Tech at Pitt and Wake Forest. So you look at it, you go to Pitt, to Boston College, and to Miami. Those are losses right there. Then you host Virginia, North Carolina, and Virginia Tech, and Wake Forest. So, I mean, there is a distinct possibility. And then you go to Georgia Tech. There is a distinct possibility that they might not win a game in the ACC. I mean, I, I think they get one or two. I really do. So, I mean, there is a path to bowl eligibility for Duke, but I think the path to bowl eligibility means that you have to go undefeated in the non-con. I really, really think that way. 
Because then if you go undefeated non-conference, you win at Georgia Tech, then you got to steal a game from somebody. Whereas if you lose two or three games in the non-conference, there, there's no way that Duke is going to make a bowl game. But if Duke is able to find a way to start the season 4-0, win at Northwestern, win at Kansas, beat Temple, and then beat North Carolina A&T, if they're able to find a way to start 4-0, you gain a lot of momentum going into that ACC slate. And that's where I then see, like, hey, maybe there's a possibility. But more realistic is probably another 3-9 and nine or 4-8 and eight season if we're being realistic. Now, I do think, I do think Mike Elko is going to get the job done, but it's going to take time. And he's taken over a program that has not done as well in the past couple of years. Let's just say that. But there, there's an upside. There's, there's positivity going in the right direction. It seems so. But hey, that's that's the end of tonight's episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it. You guys always know I love, love, love talking about the Sun Belt. Everybody knows that. I'm really enjoying this coach's corner segment that I'm doing as well because I'm I'm having a I'm, I'm enjoying taking a deep dive into some of these new coaching hires and just seeing like what it could mean mean for the college coach for the college football landscape, but then for that program and for the conference that they're in and everything. I think it's a a big deal. Like I said, tonight's the fiftieth episode. Um, thank you guys so much for for listening and following and just everything. Uh, it's a huge. Huge, huge thank you for me. Feel free to follow me personally at Coach underscore B Will. Please, please, please follow the podcast Twitter account at TNT College Foot One. Uh, subscribe um, on uh, Spotify. And thank you guys so much again. Have a good night. God bless.